Hey, everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. <clears throat> Let's do a little bit of a teaser just about what we're going to be talking about tonight. Then we've got some great uh, calendar of events uh, lined up, two amazing sponsors, and then we'll kick this off with our long format video cast and podcast. Excited uh, just to be doing this. This is a highlight, I think, for both of us to get oh. us to get together on Wednesday nights. Yes, it, it really is. Um, I always love it. And, and uh, we have a lot of fun. And how can you not have fun when you're talking about murder, mayhem and mobs? I mean, three of my oh, favorite things. Exactly. It's really it's 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 more fun when it's not happening to you. And it's uh, it's it's also not only do they function, do these stories function as cautionary tales. There are an important a very textural part of our culture and our history. I, I find it interesting. We, we, when, when the, these types of things happen in, in the onset at, at the time, often, not always, they're, they're regarded with a, a bit of distance, a bit of emotional, um, visceral emotional horror. In, in some cases, the, certainly when we get into the, the, the case of vigilantes, the, the issues being, oh, we, we distance ourselves from that. That really wasn't grandpa. Uh, the, that wasn't part of our history. Oh, yes, it was. Those types of things. But you get a couple of generations removed. And I have yet to see even some of the most uh, jaded, for example, teenagers in the community, who are going, this is the dumbest town I've ever lived in. I can't believe that I have to put up with you people. And you start telling them the stories of who died horribly and tragically um, in the area. Hey, everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. Why did no one tell me? Exactly. Now, now the flip side to that is I always find it ironical when we put articles on 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 our pages about yeah. some of these events or that happened, and someone will, someone will invariably say, "Why are you glorifying this?" And it's it, it's a dichotomy because we are interested. Human nature is interested in these things because it's not typical. It's not what we normally experience and things that are uh, titillating we always assume happen other places yes and are we glorifying the idea of you know random mayhem no but ignoring the fact that these things happen i think is its own cautionary tale because we tell ourselves everything in life is safe and fuzzy and warm and nothing can happen to us because nothing ever happens here. And we start sounding like something that in itself becomes very surreal. It does. And Perhaps even more importantly, we we begin to create 
uh, a construct, uh, an artificial um, perspective that it is, it is artificial. It is, and most importantly, I think it is out of touch with reality and history bears that out. And I, I think that, first of all, just like with the, uh, you know, the, the old, you know, the, the old uh, 90, 1990s era panic that playing mm, uh, violent video games were going to make everyone violent. No, but I think that the mindset is along the same vein, uh, yeah. glorifying, quote unquote, glorifying, talking about the murder mayhem, uh, uh, mobs, this violence that has gone on before is somehow going to, you know, awake the sociopath in our society. Well, heads up, guys, they're going to be awake whether we talk about this stuff or not. Uh, right, because... And ironically, by definition, they are not affected by emotional um, displays and uh, conversations. So right. they're going to, you know, I, I hate to tell tell them, particularly for someone who's spent a very long time working in the law, um, talking about, you know, us talking about something that happened 100 years ago does not affect what happens today. No. However, I think that contextualizing understanding the the good and the bad of human nature is is incredibly helpful it helps it's yes. the same reason that that real learning real history is incredibly helpful uh it, it prevents this uh this approach of uh every day is brand new uh, oh my goodness we must panic because we've never seen this before and it helps ground certainly a the the specificity of current events will change mm -hmm. but the human nature driving those events does not change and you see people doing wonderful things and you see people doing horrible things and if you are a student of history you see often very clearly defined patterns of behavior and understanding that behavior and those patterns can help you respond in the here and now mm -hmm. better. Let's let, you know, and again, it sounds very cliche, but let's, let's stop making the mistakes of the past because we have the documentation uh, to, to genuinely learn in so many cases that this is, this is what was done and it didn't work or this is what right. was done and it did work um, or this was what was done and it was a, painful, difficult, laborious process, but for the most part, it worked out reasonably well, which is usually where successful society tends to land. Yeah, it, it, it's that middle ground that usually, in the end, um, works out for the better. Right, as, as opposed to the less successful ones, which you're, you're looking at a, a trail of genocide and going, oh God, no, don't ever do that again. Exactly. Uh, there's an old ad, there's old adage in courthouses that if uh, if either party in a court case is really really happy, it's probably not a good decision. <laughs> I like that, and that really helps balance uh, just the overall per perspective as a whole. Mm -hmm. And and ground we we live, and of course we are media. Uh, what mm -hmm. we're doing is is functioning as media. Certainly, a different way. 
um, you know, sort of a different tack on yep. the on the process. And but something that I, I think that it is a valuable role uh, for media is to contextualize and ground situations in reality. And oftentimes that we see the opposite of that. And then we see heavy polarization and uh, just the people almost getting addicted to the, um, the, the, the euphoria in even the, the, the negative response. Exactly. I agree. So with, uh, with those profound postulations in position, I'm using the alphabet ineffectively, but for great fun. Uh, we have, and I'm halfway down with my eight cups of coffee already. Uh, we, have, we have a great calendar of events. The, the autumn season is upon us. It is September. I'm going to just run through things really quickly, then we can talk about them sort of one by one. Um, September 17th, Dark Ozarks will be at State of the Ozarks Fest in downtown Hollister, Missouri. Great street festival. I think so. I'm the one creating it. Um, this is year number six. Uh, well, I want to just I'll run down the whole. I'll vouch because I've been there every year and it gets better yes. every year. <laughs> and then... Um, following week, uh, Dark Ozarks, you and I will be in Caney, Kansas um, for the uh, for the SEK Bordertown Paracon put on by yeah. SEK Bordertown Paranormal. We will yes. be seeing all kinds of different topics and it's in the little Ozarks of Kansas and uh, uh, it's going to be a fun event and food. It's free to the public. It is. And then, and of course, State of the Ozarks is free to the public as well. Yes. Then uh, October 7th, Friday, we will be back in Hollister. You and I will be back in Hollister for the Haunted Hollister Walking Tour, beginning at the Old English Inn. Tickets are available on ParanormalScienceLab.com, and they are selling rather quickly. So if yeah, you want in on that, uh, recommend that you check that out. It's going to be a really fun night. It's basically three parts, uh, two hours, wear comfortable shoes, be prepared to climb stairs inside and outside. And uh, I guarantee you, if you're unfamiliar with the history of uh, Hollister or Taney County, you will not look at, um, the, at the local history the same way again. It's fascinating stuff. And uh, we're going to be doing a lot of paranormal stuff at the inn as well. Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to be in uh, period clothing. So come in costume, period clothing, cosplay, Halloween costume, and everyone has fun. Absolutely. Great, great opportunity. Great night out. Uh, beginning of the official Halloween season at Hollister. Then October 20th, no, October 15th. 15th. Yes. Me and numbers. Um, <laughs> we're doing something on 20th too. October 15th, we're, Dark Ozarks will be hosting Dark Ozarks October Country at VFW Hall oh. 534. Yes. Oh, I got it right. Got it. Oh, and uh, sponsored by our fantastic sponsor, Always Buying Books in Joplin, Missouri. Yes, Bob and Elise uh, are sponsoring um, sponsoring the event, and Always Buying Books is a great resource, um, whether it be for general reading, high-end collectibles, or hard-to-find uh, nonfiction. Uh, check them out on North Main Street in Joplin or online at alwaysbuyingbooks.net or on Facebook, Always Buying Books and the group Friends Who Like Always Buying Books. So you can purchase books through uh, through those 
sites and have them mailed to you as well. Yes. Fantastic, fantastic bookstore uh, and a, a great place if you're on a, a Route 66 historic tour to stop in get away from, you know, your big box stores that you can go anywhere and find. Get away from the franchises that you can go anywhere and find and have an experience that is absolutely unique. The location is also haunted. Yes, it is. So you can't can't beat that. And then October 20th, we will be in Joplin again. Uh, putting on the old downtown Joplin walking tour, which covers the history of early Joplin and ghost stories of the downtown area. Uh, It is uh, being held in conjunction with Third Thursday Art Walk in Joplin, uh, and our co-sponsor is Joplin Downtown Alliance. Um, And we are very pleased to work with them again. They uh, do a lot of things to support the artists and a community in the area and are very instrumental in a number of historic restoration projects in the Joplin area. Yes, they are. It's really, really phenomenal. And then October 29th yes. in Newtonia, Missouri, we will be at the Ritchie Mansion as well as the Civil War Cemetery. And uh, the, everything begins at the community hall or community center across sort of catty corner from the Ritchie Mansion. There was going to be uh, food. There's going to be uh, history, uh, history, historic tour of the of the antebellum home, tour of the Civil War cemetery in the dark. Yes, and uh, and a paranormal investigation uh, introduction in yeah. the Ritchie Mansion upstairs as well. The Ritchie Mansion is quite haunted. It it really is, and it's a great event. Uh, tickets are selling through, so you know. Uh, you want to check that out again at paranormalsciencelab.com. Then on November 19th, uh, we have two events in the afternoon. We will be at uh, Always Buying Books um, for a book signing for our books, two to four. Yes. So come on out and talk to us, uh, get books, have them signed. That night, we will be at the Web City Public Library for a tour and paranormal investigation. And it is um, a long time. Um, haunted uh, location with lots of poltergeist activity, uh, full body apparitions. I've actually been seen on our tours before by people and uh, it's always a lot of fun and it helps support the library. So we ask everyone to come out and we want to do a shout out to our new sponsor. Um, yes. The Beard Engine Brewing Company. Yes. In Alvin, Missouri. You got it all right. <laughs> yes i'm at the bottom of my coffee um the, and uh and a huge shout out to nate and tiff in alba missouri if you can't remember beard engine brewing Com- brewing company in alba missouri just remember awesome beer and alba that's, that's uh, right that that will get you there and uh a historic historic building uh really top-notch uh microbrewery and uh phenomenal phenomenal stuff and then they have the alba press which is uh provides some fantastic food there as well that's right and live music on the weekend so yes uh i love the space it's not it there's just some spaces you go into and you go (sighs) okay i can just stay here and that's one of them 
and ironically, you know, that that's a good segue into the topic tonight, because ironically, it also is the site of Mayhem. It is. And you wouldn't think it uh, just as you're 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 within that space and folks are having a great time. They're drinking a beer. They're eating sandwich. They're listening to live music. It's the last place in the world that you would think, uh, well, I wonder if somebody had a shootout in this location earlier <laughs> in the iteration of the building. And the answer is yes. Yes, they did. During the Great Depression, um, uh it was a mercantile store. It was robbed. There was a shootout, and the bullet holes are still there to prove it. They and are. not only that, but at the end of, end of the block, Bonnie and Clyde robbed the post office. So, yes, uh, apparently Bonnie needed some stamps. <laughs> <laughs> she was trying to mail off that film. You know? Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't think she did. did. Didn't work, but you know. Give it a shot. You know, if you watch the the Bonnie and Clyde film, which I love, Mm -hmm. uh, and I I really need to rewatch it. If you watch that film, which, again, huge kudos to it, uh, highly recommend it. That said, you really don't get uh, the sense that the Ozarks are figuring so predominantly in the Bonnie and Clyde story. And yet, uh, between Ozarks and immediate Ozarks borderlands, uh, was hugely instrumental in in the the journeys of Bonnie and Clyde. Actually, you know, um, now I haven't actually counted up, but I would say probably a majority of their known uh, robberies and brushes with the law were actually in the Ozarks between. Um, Missouri, uh, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Southeast Kansas. Um, I mean, and well, even from Alba, you know, they robbed the bank in Ornogo, which is, you know, four miles away. I mean, that just over and over and over and over, you find these, these uh, connections. And um, I don't think that people now even think that, think about what people we're, we're living through. We, we, we talk about being on edge and people of, you know, everything going on in the world, you know, affecting people now. Well, you didn't know whether or not you were going to walk into the bank or the post office or the grocery store mm-hmm. and someone rob it because things were that desperate and really mayhem was, you know, a way of life for several years during that time period. It was, and and I think also a, a testimony to the really the the upending, the temporary upending of the um, social order in the fact that a number, and Bonnie and Clyde being top of the list, a number of uh, quote unquote criminals that were were doing this and were putting civilians at risk, yeah, were at the same time being heralded by the same civilians. In, a, in an almost Robin Hood sort of fashion, mm-hmm. considering the amount of anger that was being directed toward, for example, uh, the large banking situations, et cetera. And we saw the something very similar at, you know, approximately the 20 years following the Civil War. Very much so. I mean, there's a there there is there is some a lot of similarities for those cultural and social 
dynamics um, that drove the Old West outlaws after the Civil War, such as the James brothers and uh, people like that, as drove people like Pretty Boy Floyd and Bonnie and Clyde and John Dillinger uh, in, in the Great Depression. And another sort of similarity is most, uh, most of the larger-than-life names from both of those time periods and cooking pots there are, you know, were connected to the Ozarks in one way or another. In some cases, very, very dramatically. And just the, the fact that there, there was so much social stress, uh, economic stress, that in, in the situation that the someone who was mm, running around robbing and killing people uh, could be seen as a mm, you know a vicarious symbol of what many of uh, of, of everyday people mm-hmm. wanted to do, and in the idea that that Jesse James is an example, Bonnie Clyde is another, uh, that in some way they were exacting revenge against a system that was cheating everyone. And 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 I guess we should say not not everyone necessarily viewed them as as heroes. Um, no. <laughs> and and sort of the Robin Hood um, motif um, in both cases came about over time. You know, there were people who, you know, they were scared of being robbed and, and the, the unsettling nature uh, all of this was having. But as, as dire times progressed and more people lost their homes, their farms, et cetera, in both time periods um, mm-hmm. and felt helpless, they yeah. began identifying with these outlaws as you're doing something that I wish in some way I could uh, react to having lost my home or my, my brother losing his farm or whatever. Um, and so it is a vicarious situation that, um, a lot of people be like, I'm not going to do that, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad someone's given it to the banks. Right. And that's, I, I think just the, the, the social, the, the sociocultural aspects of that history period, are incredibly fascinating and it is it's very it was horrible to have lived through it's incredibly juicy uh and 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 romantic to remember exactly exactly and and to acknowledge that we never know when that kind of circumstance couldn't happen again yes Yes, and as 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 difficult and painful as that is, uh, we can at least ground ourselves in the nostalgia that uh, you know it involves really cool cars or really fast horses, and both of those are epic. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so where do where do you want to jump jump off at here? Uh, let's jump off. Uh, let's let's start at the end and work back to the beginning. Okay. And uh, let's start at the. Uh, oh, oh, what is I believe the last hanging in Missouri and probably the last hanging in the United States. Yes. Well, there is arguably one 
uh, public hanging um, after it, I believe in Tennessee, but it was not, quote, public. I mean, it was public, but not truly public, it, but it was conducted, you know, in in the town where yeah. they were conducted with some people there. But the last truly anyone can show up who who rides into town and watch this. It is the last. And uh, and and when it comes comes time for for folks showing up, boy, howdy, did they? And uh, and just to uh, to <laughs> to set the stage and spoiler alert, the person in question was indeed hanged there. Uh, we we covered that part. In this case, it is it is the case uh, of Roscoe or Red Jackson, who was hanged at dawn. Uh, on May 21st, 1937, in Galena, Missouri. Yes. And a lot of people were very shocked by these things, but in, in and, and perhaps this is part of why people, we get this reaction of, oh, you're glorifying these horrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate to tell people that we're pretty... Uh, insular and and uh, hide behind away from a lot of these realities today. Um, uh, we go about our lives pretending that these things don't don't happen, and they happen behind you know tall walls and locked doors, and we tell ourselves that that we're not a party to it. There is. Uh, mm. You know, the, I, I think that it, it reminds me that there's, there's a number of dystopian films created in the late 90s and into the early 2000s uh, about essentially uh, a future in which society is more controlled mm-hmm. uh, or more managed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and typically what we see in that is this... this uh, um, sanitation of culture, uh, the the idea that that and the the impression that we that these individuals who are living these exceedingly sanitized lives are really, for lack of a better term, dumbed down mm-hmm. to the point that they they believe that nothing bad is happening. And of course the, the protagonist is the wild matrix X matrix esque rebel who figures it out and is on a one person crusade to, uh, to bring down the system. You guys fill in the blanks. Um, Please introduce Mila Jovovich and ultraviolet in case you're wondering which film I'm specifically referencing, but In, in this process, I do have a point for this. Um, never thought I would tie ultraviolet with uh, Galena, Missouri. Anyway, uh, in, this, in this regard, the, the a continuing theme is everything is fine. Everything is pristine. Everything has soft padded rooms and childproof safety caps. And everyday society is unaware that these terrible things are happening. The idea that lawbreakers are, for example, being, you know, um, executed, that capital punishment is a thing that people just disappear and their memories are, you know, their family's memories are erased or whatever. Um, as, as, uh, 
outlandish as that is, there is a quality of that with, uh, you know, the justice system and with death in modern day society is very much removed from everyday society until it impacts you as an individual. Right. Um, and, and that really started, started in the 1920s. Um, with, and it, it, it grew out of the reform movements of, of trying to make the penal system more rehabilitative rather than punitive, um, along with changes in treating mental illness in asylums, making it more humane, etc. Um, and in the course of those trends, social scientists decided maybe we shouldn't be maybe we shouldn't be watching executions. You know, what's the point? Uh, I think that that was that sort of the, was the driving for, uh, force was that there is no point to the public seeing this. So uh, we'll do all the executions at the prisons. Um, and that's when, you know, again, if you're familiar with so many movies, when there's an execution, they walk down the long hallway, there's a viewing room and you have a handful of people who are witnesses and the uh, the condemned person gets to have one or two witnesses there along with a uh, clergyman and then you have a few witnesses there for society to make sure yes we really did this uh and it's usually dramatized that you know watching this is a horrific thing. And so if you do it, you know, you're taking on this responsibility and this burden. Um, and so not, that's, huh? not, that was not the, uh, um, the public sentiment of an average public hanging back no, in the day. No. And it's, it's really kind of interesting when you think that that we're only a hundred years removed from this and, and, and mm-hmm. not even that, long since uh uh the jadson uh hey uh no you know to the 80 years um but but the view in society has changed 180 degrees you know so that you know are you are you able and willing to witness this and be a witness um to this um barbarity you know is is the unspoken part of it Whereas 100 years ago, it was load up the kids, pack the picnic lunch, let's go, and we're going to watch them hang someone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're not being gratuitous or, or, or frivolous there. That's what happened. It is. It, 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 <laughs> it, it actually reminds me of Mystery Science Theater 3000 line, so I'm citing my sources. Uh, <laughs> Say what you will. <laughs> does back in the parishioners. <laughs> it does. Does fill the seats. And I think that there's there's on a serious note, and, and even though we're laughing about it, um, it is there is a very some very serious and I think thought provoking uh, facets just to the psychology of this as a whole and the shifts in society, both of which I think you, you have to admit that the, 
there are positives and negatives uh, to the previous uh, social mores, and there are positives and negatives today to the the current one. I think the 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 negative one today is just such a a surreal distance from the idea that there are consequences to our actions. I think so. And and, and one thing that I have noticed and over time, and I noticed it because of my role as an attorney, because I noticed the reactions. When, when you have a prominent crime happen or in a court case, and as it kind of slowly filters through the, the court system, um, and then you read um, the reactions that people have, say in the newspaper or online to this, the assumptions are, you get these automatic assumptions that the system is soft on crime, that judges are soft on crime, that no one is doing anything. And then you get the mob mentality of burn them at the stake, basically. Uh, and, and that entire narrative usually is completely devoid of, of the reality of what's happening in a particular case. And you have this sort of community outrage that is kind of pointless because it, 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 it has no frame of reference to what's actually going on and what's being considered, but they don't know that. And, and I'm, not, I'm not disparaging them because they don't know what goes on um, yeah. and what goes into it. And so, whereas... In the past, if, if you showed up, you know, it was not unusual for a murder case for the courthouse to be filled. I mean, um, the scene in To Kill a Mockingbird, when, you know, the, the courtroom is filled to the rafters with people. So everyone sees what happens. And ironically, in that case, they also see if, if they're, you know, have any common sense that what happens had nothing to do with reality in that particular case. But right. the community then has a frame of reference to talk about it, which doesn't happen too much today, by and large, unless you get a televised bid trial. And then again, you're still getting parts of it. Getting getting then, parts of it. And and then when you get to the execution stage, you know. Today, people, you know, you might, you know, so-and-so was executed for, you know, murders committed, you know, in, you know, 20 years ago. And that's all the society gets. Whereas traditionally, community was involved in that process. And whether you want to view it as catharsis or community immersion in in the system, almost an education effort. Um, I, I think there were. I, I think it did serve some purpose for having common reference points. Agreed. I I think that there is the the distance lends itself to a level of uh, lack of education mm -hmm. and lack of context, and then you are you're left with what either is effectively or ineffectively shared mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and oftentimes, even if it is effectively shared, it's not effectively contextualized. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when you read these accounts and it, it applies with Red Jackson too, um, there, there are accounts of people, you know, they're in the crowd watching and they, they understand, you know, I mean, you know, they, from the community perspective, yes, sort of this retribution is warranted, but they are also people who knew everyone involved usually on a personal level. Yes. And, um, I find the I, I find those narratives very interesting because they are much more nuanced and I think real than what we generally get today, which are tend to be fairly one-dimensional reactions to things. I I tend to agree. I really do. Now, <clears throat> I think a potential flip side, I'm just going to throw this out here, uh, a negative of the past mores, this past social mores, can, can turn into an almost mob vengeance or, at, at the least, a, a, a Roman carnival. Definitely. I mean, that, that definitely is the case. I mean, I, I think, and that did happen in, in certain circumstances. And um, as well as, you know, some people would argue that it perhaps desensitized people to um, violence. But I, I, to be perfectly honest, I think it was more, you know, the sense of horror and that cautionary tale of, you know, you don't want you don't want to stray down the, the wrong path because you don't want this to happen to you. I, I tend to agree. I, I think that I think that there's I, I think being yeah. directly directly a a witness uh, heightens the visceral sense of the reality of, of the situation, whether for good or for bad. I, I think that you simply can't avoid it um, if you're not sociopathic. And if you are right. sociopathic, it either way wouldn't make any difference. So right. There's, and I also see this, and this is an interesting trend that we've we've witnessed in in another area, which is the attempt to um, to sanitize death, to sanitize grief, uh, to move uh, the the to move first of all to move death out of the home mm-hmm. and into uh, a nursing facility or a hospital where. It is, depending upon one's viewpoint, it is either more comfortable for the family or a more generic death. Yeah. I, I think often it does create a disconnect. Um, um, and just in funerals in, in general, not only death, but then the, the funeral process and the grieving process uh, becomes more removed. Now, I guess I should say the flip side in the in the past, I don't really agree that perhaps do we take six-year-old Sally to the hanging and, and have sandwiches? Um, you know, uh, I, I think that tended to go too far that direction as well, you know, with public hangings, you know, with young children. In my in my book, Haunted Carthage, Missouri, I, I recount a uh, 
a personal account from a fella that remembered being at a public hanging in Carthage when he was I don't know, six or seven and sitting on his dad's shoulders and watching and so forth. And do I think that, I mean, it certainly, and it did drastically make an impact on him. His statement made that clear. Um, although I think that probably, you know, is, you know, even then perhaps a little too young for. <laughs> I, I, I tend to, I tend to agree. I, I think, and I, I'm just curious is, is your thoughts. I think you've done a bit more reading on, on contemporary accounts than I have. Um, but we see, we're going to talk about the, the bald numbers hanging in 1889 and in Christian County. And, and of course we're dealing with this one. So basically our time frame is 1889, give or take at to 1937 and, you know, situations in which, uh, large numbers of people, the community at large, uh, witnesses the hanging mm-hmm. during during that the, those years. If someone in the community, for example, were to say, "Oh, I can't stand the idea of watching that," uh, I'm not going to go. When pretty much the rest of the town is showing up, mm-hmm. what do you think the 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 social response about that person would have been? Would it have been? there's something wrong with you for not showing up? Would it have been more understanding? What, what do you, what's your research found? I, I, I think that it would, de- it, it would vary a little bit depending on who I th- I think uh, it would be easier to be honest for a woman to have said, I'm not going, I don't want to go. <laughs> yes. um, for men, I think there probably was a, a, a pressure, um, <laughs> peer pressure to, to go. Um and sort of, even if it was couched in terms of we're, we're keeping everything accountable, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then I think with taking children, a lot of it had to do with, uh, well, just different outlets on parenting, obviously, but also uh, how rough were things at the time um, mm-hmm. and the exact location of, I think there was a view of many that, you know, they need to know what can happen type things, you know? Uh, yeah. I, and I think that's fair. The idea, You don't want your kids to grow up and do this. So you're going to show them the consequences of it. Right. Right. And um, so I think I think there were very different variables at play there, but I, I think that there there probably was more uh, of community pressure for men to show up. I, I think but a lot of women did too, and I think that that's fair. Um, an event like this mm, uh, invoked the sale or the distribution of souvenirs. Yes, it did. And almost a carnival atmosphere, you know, with hawking food, etc. For the record, um, just throwing this out here, for my public hanging, I'm scheduling barbecue sandwiches, pulled pork barbecue sandwiches and funnel cakes. So y'all are invited. I'll handwrite the uh, invitations beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't decided on date, location, or crime 
or inciting incident. So none of those have happened yet. Tell me I'm not having to pass them out, okay? <laughs> no, we'll hire that now. It'll be a catering service. Okay. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. for that. <laughs> and 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 deep fried deep fried cheesecake. Well, you know, there there has to be a hook. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's good to start planning these things early, and um, um, wearing wearing black is uh, is optional, uh, but requested. I, I will wear black. Okay, <laughs> just for the bad sense of humor by itself. <laughs> I think you've had enough coffee for a little while. I think you're right. <laughs> so. Coming back, coming back to Red Jackson, um, Red, you know, it is a cautionary tale. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the the hanging itself, I find interesting because I think we, by 1937, we had progressed to to a a point, um, sort of a middle ground. Children were not allowed to officially watch the hanging, i.e. be allowed inside the temporary stockade that was built in downtown Galena. Um, But a number of children watched the hanging, for example, by climbing up the trees to see over the stockade. Or or on rooftops, yes. Mm -hmm. And as, as as is appropriate with a cautionary tale, Red um, Jackson did a lot of things wrong to get him to the end of the gallows ropes in 1937. Yes, um, certainly did. Um, I mean, it's easy to look back and say, oh, this is egregious that they they hanged him this way and forget that he did have a hand in getting to that point. He did. He did. And so Jackson, Jackson was 36 when he was hanged. Um, according to current current information, he was born, quote, to a respectable farm family near tiny Howard's Ridge in Ozark County, which is 50 miles east, you know, 50 miles plus east of Galena. Um, uh, his father, Andrew Jackson, um, claimed to have been the great nephew of General Thomas Stonewall Jackson of Virginia. And... Roscoe or Red didn't exactly live up to that uh, <laughs> that uh, um, ancestry. Yes. Okay, yes. yes. Um, uh, and basically, his temper got got the better of him, if I recall right. It it appears so, or just a a series of very very poor decisions coupled with violence. So. Uh, He fathered four children, left his wife, drifted through odd jobs in the Oklahoma oil fields, then did prison time on a weapons charge, uh, was hitchhiking back to his parents' farm on August 1st, 1934, when he got a ride from Pearl Bozarth, a traveling salesman from Evansville, Indiana, who frequently conducted business from the old Majestic Hotel in downtown St. Louis. Also, this is a generation in which the name Pearl is can be male or female. Yes, yes. And and that is a hard for us to really wrap our heads around post-1945. 
right. Yeah, actually, actually, one of one of uh, one of the principals and another story we're going to talk about. His name is Pearl as well. And so uh, Bozarth, Pearl Bozarth, the traveling salesman, was fifty-three years old um, and had a business that made nutrients for chicken feed. So let's let's put this bluntly: he was a chicken feed salesman, a traveling chicken feed salesman. Yes. Um, the the evening of August first, he bought Jackson a meal, uh, and bought also purchased him lodging at a traveler's camp near Brown Branch in Taney County, and a farmer found Bozarth's body on a roadside three days later, and he'd been shot twice in the back of the head, and and presumably robbed, if I remember. I believe so. So the uh, also cautionary tale um against buying people meals and setting them up for for lodging when you don't know them i'm gonna throw this in yeah it's 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 what you get for being a good samaritan you get shot twice in the back of the head uh left on a country road um and, and perhaps this has a little bit to do with um just the the extreme contrasts that violence being much more visceral and much more immediate at the same time uh this was an era in which people did not lock their doors in middle america right um a a a a very different um social construct than what we're accustomed to today Mm mm-hmm and a, a, a an almost community-minded or familial uh, situation, you know. For example, going back, it's gonna, conversations going to get a little weird here. Uh, going back to like the eighteen fifties and eighteen sixties, not uncommon for uh, travelers, for example, to to find lodging. Yeah. And to be asked to bunk together, to sleep in the same bed together. Yeah, strangers, yeah. Complete strangers uh doing so. A I don't know what the what the word for it exactly that I'm looking for, but a um uh sort of a a in in for for our sensibilities, a strange level of familiarity, a strange level of interconnected humanness. Yeah, that that when the violence happens, seem to have made it much more horrific, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, privacy, for the most part, was not anything the way it is today. I mean, even in a household, um, we get that often at, say, Kendrick House, people being shocked that, oh, there's only two bedrooms. And there would have at different times been two, three different married couples there with their children, you know, all in the same family. And uh, yeah, they hung sheets up in the, you know, partitioning rooms and, you know, whatever went on, pretty well everyone knew it, you know. And, and so you have that closeness that we have separated ourselves with walls and everything mm-hmm. that to now it seems very foreign it, it does and it you know even the the fact like um 
perfectly normal for, first of all, to families, for families. I find this such an interesting dichotomy or an interesting inverse a hundred years ago, 80 years ago, um, families being much larger, homes being drastically smaller. Yes. Uh, Now we've seen homes get massively larger and families getting drastically smaller. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea that, you know, (laughs) you know, to have gone from like, you know, perfectly normal to grow up with, I don't know, say 800, 900 square feet to yourself as a child in a home in some cases. Um, It's probably not even that because you were generally, you know, you likely were sharing a bed with two, three, four other kids. And that's what I'm saying, like, you know, to like that being now, as opposed to, you know, this is your square foot of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I'm, I'm thinking my, I have to count really quick. Um, six, my, so my grandma, I believe if my numbers are right, um, six kids mm-hmm. in a home that basically had three rooms mm-hmm. that and there was enough age difference that there were were siblings moving out um right. and starting their own lives obviously but still uh you know i i've got over 1400 square foot just for myself and my dog yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a very, and I still think I'm running out of room, but that's mostly because of the books. Um, and just a very, so um, the trail, um, you know, the investigative trail led to Jackson. He was captured in Oklahoma. Uh, a change of venue moved the case, um, interesting enough, from Taney County, which includes Branson, to neighboring Stone County. So that's how it ended up in Stone County. And yeah. And uh, on December 11th, 1934, Jackson was com- convicted in a two-day trial in Galena and then sentenced to death. Um, two-day trial. Mm-hmm. Not that unusual. It's now. Well, well for one thing, um, a lot of the times, say murder cases now, a lot of what takes a lot of t- trial time is investigative evidence that really didn't exist back then, you know, mm-hmm. the testing and the different things they do now that just didn't go on. So um, usually you back then it was more witness driven testimony and uh things found at the scene, that kind of thing. You didn't, you didn't have a lot, you know, it, it would have been very rare in the thirties to have laboratory tests on anything and that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Jackson during the cl- during the trial, uh, Jackson claimed that another man shot Bozarth. Uh, but then a few days after the trial confessed to Sheriff Coyne, um, uh, that he had done it. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. He was baptized in the James River uh, under heavy guard and while waiting execution, uh, converted to Catholicism. And uh, certainly not not isolated for conversions to happen in jail and prison. 
according to the documentation that we have, um, his last words were, quote, it's not everybody that realizes what it takes to die. It's easy when it comes accidental, but it's not so easy when it comes gradual. Well, be good, folks. End of quote. Actually, a pretty good quote. It is. It is. Um, and he was hanged at 604 uh, a.m. And after his body was carried down the stairs, the deputies cut pieces of the rope and tossed them into the crowd as souvenirs. Mm hmm. That was not a, that was not uncommon um, to for um, a gallows rope and news to be cut up for souvenirs or or to be sold. Mm-hmm. It. I also find this uh, mm, a bit poignant. The evening of May twentieth, nineteen thirty-seven, when townspoken strangers packed the square in Galena, uh, Marie Tilden. Tilden's a, a long-standing Stone and and uh, Western Taney name. I know some Tildens. Uh, went downtown that night with her parents and was amazed by the commotion. What she remembers most is the solitary older man who rested in the street with his head propped against the curb. Um, it turned out to be Red Jackson's dad, said Tilden, 75, who still lives in Galena. Um, they, there were all these strangers having bonfires and ducking in and out of the taverns. And all I could think of that night was that little man with nobody talking to him. Almost, he was ostracized by association. Mm-hmm. And it's... <sighs> I think something that is difficult to ultimately reconcile is that regardless of whether justice is or isn't done, there there's a price that's paid. Yes. Um, there's a price that's paid, whether it's justice, that's another question. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it, you know, in this particular case, it does speak to that, that Roman carnivalesque, atmosphere that can can pervade in a situation like this which leads uh you know is in and of itself uh a cautionary tale about how close we can come to mob action this is mob action finding vicarious release through a public execution the the execution itself not being mob action this is a this was done according to a, a judicial process of that era doesn't always it didn't always go that way though no and uh it's in throughout the ozarks there's there's a number of cases whether it's vigilante or it's simply uh mob action itself without necessarily the 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 codes and the uh um hilltop oath taking um that uh, that have developed and some of those get are are pretty um pretty intense so do you do do we want to go further back in time or or land in the middle? So do we want to start uh, start with the mob that ended up in with a hanging, or do we want to have mob that hanged? <laughs> oh my gosh! Let's uh, let's turn the, let's turn the clock back to Joplin. Okay. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of mob action, Joplin, Joplin or, or a, a similar 
era before we get back to the bald knobbers. Okay. Um, and, and I, th- I think that is a, a, a good juxtaposition, um, to the red Jackson case. Um, 19, it's April, 1903. And, uh, Joplin is a booming, uh, mining town at the time. Uh, at that time, you had upwards of 100,000 um, people that were in flux in the Joplin-Galena area. In fact, uh, there was no uh, gap uh, between Joplin and Galena, Kansas at that time. It was all mining shacks, etc. There were so many people. And you had... you. It was also a, a railroad um, hub as well. And so on the north side of Joplin, north main, north of the uh, depot uh, in the valley uh, by Turkey Creek, which is uh, now Landreth Park was what was called the Kansas City Flats. And Kansas City Flats were basically flop shacks. Uh, It's where the hobos came through. It's where um, everyone on the the down and out, uh, you know, flopped. And uh, through that area on North Main, you had all kinds of opium houses and brothels and sporting houses, uh, saloons, etc. And these weren't the nice ones. This wasn't the House of Lords. <laughs> these, were, these, these, these were the ones that you didn't want to get caught in. Um, so that, that, that was that general area um, that a lot of people probably would like to pretend never existed, but it did. So there was a report of um, of uh, a young man who um, had stolen something um, and supposedly was hiding out in some of the one of the train cars in Kansas City Flats. So the police sent um, Officer Theodore Leslie to check it out, and so. Um, while, you know, he's talking to people in the, in the rail yard and through Kansas City Flats and he's going car to car looking and there's people, there's hobos sleeping in cars and so forth. And the story goes that he, he, uh, climbs into one car, a bot's car, and there's three or four men in there. And, um, while he's talking to them, shots ring out and he is shot and killed. And a young man runs from the from the train car. It is seen by several people, and um, but gets away. And so, the next day, a young man fitting the description shows up at um, Freeman's uh, blacksmith and machine machinery, uh, trying to sell something. Uh, and uh, so a couple of the workers think he's acting nervous, et cetera. So they, they, they detain him. They, they actually walk him over to the police station, which um, at that point was at second and uh, Joplin, uh, 
which is now a parking lot. And uh, they end up holding him. They, you know, and so they're trying to figure out what to do. Word starts spreading that they have found Officer Leslie's murderer. And before before city officials and the and the prosecuting attorney and everything can and really get things rolling and figure out what's going on, a mob has formed. And they decide that they are going to take matters into their own hands. And they they have gotten a large pole and use it as a battering ram and literally batter in the side of the brick building. And Paul uh, 23 year old Thomas Gilliard out. Um, now, uh, Mr. Gilliard uh, was an African American. Um, and while you know, some in the mob that may have been a motive, it, it does not necessarily look like that was the motive to begin with. It was mob uh, mentality of we're going to take care of this, you know, an officer's been killed. Um, and there had been uh, other killings of officers over the last few years. And so it's it's almost like a situation that had kind of bubbled over. Um, and then everything mixed together. And Gilliard had come up from the South Alabama, I think. And he was, um, he had been uh, hopping trains and everything coming north and was supposed to go to work on a railroad gang uh, up by Waco, Missouri, which actually isn't too far. Uh, There's probably 15 miles north of Jabal. And um, he uh, pleaded that uh, he hadn't done this, that uh, he was innocent. And uh, they bring um, one of the witnesses who saw him run from the tra- or saw the man run from the train car, uh, who was a about a 17, 18 year old kid uh, who identifies him, says that, yes, this is this is him. Um, and then the mob just gets enraged. More people join it. And before you know it, they um, have taking him across the street to a telephone pole and are getting ready to lynch him. And city officials actually ride into um, the, uh, the crowd on horseback with the witness uh, trying to stop people. And they, 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 uh, uh, and and the, the young man is even yelling, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was mistaken. I don't think I don't think that's him. You know, I, I made a mistake. Um, everyone's trying to calm it down. And they literally are, are fighting over the road. Mm. City mayor and the city attorney and other cities, they're fighting with the mob over the road, trying to keep them from paying this this man. And in the course of it, the the mob ends up winning out, and uh, he is pulled, jerked up, and actually the killing blow is not actually the noose that they put around his neck, but uh, he is pulled up the telephone pole, and his head, head strikes a spike that is driven through the cross member of the telephone pole and 
um, and uh, goes through his skull. Um, and unfortunately, that was not the end of it. The, the mob really did become a mob with a mob mentality of its own. At this point, he had grown to between three and 4,000 people, which is a wow. huge amount of people. And they, I mean, it, it, the mentality that's described, uh, it, it, it reminds you of, you know, Frankenstein and the villagers with pitchforks and, and, and torches, you know, and uh, not listening to reason. And so the city officials decided they were going to close all the saloons because they thought maybe if, they can't drink. Maybe they'll calm down and go home. Uh, <laughs> Bad idea. Unfortunately, it had the reverse effect, and they just got even madder. Um, and so what they started to do is they actually walked down Main Street. They started um, um, targeting businesses and as they went, it, it grew into targeting businesses that employed uh, minorities, whether it be African Americans or Chinese men, um, because there 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 were quite a few um, Chinese workers in town that um, worked in other services and fields, um, laboring and you know as say barbers as uh, in laundries, etc., um, uh, supporting the mining. And so there's stories of all the barbers in one barber shop running out the back door and getting away, things like that. They, they walk all the way down to 7th Street, which is a good ways from where they started, um, and then head west. And before it's over, they actually turn two houses over. Wow. You know, we, you know we, we hear about turning cars over in a riot. They turn two houses over. Mm. And eventually the, the, you know, the, the authorities got control of it and they, they, they did arrest um, three or four people. Um, um, and then through the coroner uh, examined the body and found that um, he had a wound, he had a gunshot wound that matched um, testimony of the other hobos in the train car that the officer got a, a shot off and they thought he'd been shot, I think, in the leg. And he did have a, 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 uh, a wound that w was not from that day. Mm. Uh, and so circumstantially, uh, it appeared that he probably was the murderer after all. Um, but a consequence of all this is that most of the minorities in Joplin left and um, immediately, like that day, uh, people <laughs> took out walking, walking to Galena, walking to Carthage, um, and very few ever came back. Yes. And... It's there were no convictions of people in the mob. Right. Well, at the, at the size 
and just the intensity of the mob, I think it would be very difficult to pinpoint an individual at that point, I would think. Well, there were quite a few statements that at least one or two in particular have been sort of instrumental instrumental voices in in let's do this you know and let's go here now that kind of thing and one of them had been involved in a riot in galena a few years before interesting and it's and this and the year on this was again 1903 1903 not as difficult as as it is to to say um not especially in working towns this was not a terribly uncommon particularly in terms of of uh sometimes class violence and sometimes no. other no and in in a lot of it the a, a lot of the people in in the mob they they were they were the working class they were the miners they were they 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 were um some of them were more of the transient miners that, you know, they'd be in town for a little while and then they move on to another place. Um, uh, and I think, I think it's hard for people to also conceptualize that when you had this kind of mentality in earth with mob violence and you were in a place that was unsettled in a lot of ways. It was very frontier-like because you had 100,000 people, you know, in a very small area, but most of them really were not permanent residents. Right. And a lot of money going through. Mm -hmm. This was the largest lead and zinc mining field in the world um, and basically supplied munitions for multiple wars um aside from just industrial expansion um and another a sort of example um is a article that we put up i think last week about the house of lords and a letter that someone wrote about they had stayed at the joplin hotel across the street and they were just shocked because there was a prostitute standing in the third floor window, you know, but naked and <laughs> hundreds of people walking on the sidewalks and everything. And the police wouldn't do anything. Um, and they were shocked by this. And um, I, I think and this would, would have been the same time period. You have all of this going on and just the what it would take to sort of keep a lid on everything the way that we do, the way that we expect everything to happen today, there wasn't enough manpower to do that. Right. And I, I think a lot of people have a hard time conceptualizing that. It doesn't excuse what happened. And no. People got, got away, you know, their emotions got away with themselves, but um, it's, it was a sort of a loaded gun to begin with, to be honest, with everything that's going on. And I think the the potential argument, sort of the, the bird's eye view, very bird's eye view, uh, you know, you, you mentioned 
you know, the, the, for example, this mining region in particular, others as well, mm-hmm. um, were understood as, as crucial to first beginning back in the civil war, crucial to the war effort, uh, crucial to the industrial revolution, crucial to the, the modernization of society. And I think to a certain level, again, bird's eye view a hundred miles away saying this is just part of the price we pay to get this stuff done. Yeah. Um, and like I said, no, no, it's, it, it doesn't excuse what happened and things that did happen, but um, to just be aghast that how in the world could these things happen uh, ignores the realities of what was going on. It does. It does. And, and again, I think something that, you know, we really started with is the, the, the realities of human nature, which we have also, uh, on one hand, I think that media has to a large degree um, heightened uh, uh, an artificial aspect of that, but at the same time separated us from the, the visceral reality that human nature can be very ugly very quickly. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and uh, I, I think there's a, there, there is a danger in not recognizing that. Um, and, but recognizing, but, People have a hard time reconciling that you can recognize that, but not condone it. Correct, and it, holding, and it's it, yeah, understanding ideas at the same time. <laughs> yeah, um, and perhaps this is you know kind of a, mm, uh, a a closing aspect for tonight's episode, not necessarily the end of the episode, but a closing aspect is that learning this stuff and contextualizing it not only it, it at, the, at the very least helps to prevent some surprise but in the longer sense you know longer down the road sense helps to hopefully place common sense safeguards that within the process and it and it it can't happen after a situation has already been started. I think that's, you can't, as you know, you, you can't ride into a mob and say mob go home. Although doing so, at least you were trying, you were doing everything that you could at that moment, even though, you know, realistically you didn't have much chance. Right. It, um, I, I think that it's, it's just, there, there's so many moving parts. There's so much to learn. Uh, from these situations, and it's important to understand that that some uh, of these events um, were race related. Some of them were class related. Some of them were were neither of those. They were they were based on factors that 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 made sense at the time, but wouldn't necessarily make sense today. And, and, and to be very candid in that situation with, with the Gilliard situation for different people in that mob, all three applied. 
Mm-hmm. I just candidly, you know, uh, yeah. it was not one dimensional. You know, I, I think that would be stretching it, but um, it it did not just start out as you know uh, something aimed at a particular group. No, but, and- but for some of the people involved, uh, that you know, I'm sure that was a factor. Sure, right. And and obviously there there were you know contemporary events that that did and and I think it's it's so important and this is something that I think from a, a cursory view people don't want to do but ultimately we have to do which is treat each of these on a case by case basis and not be making blanket assumptions right uh, about any of that. Every one of these incidents of violence, whether it's small or large, had so many different factors going into them, into the situation, that it is mm, irresponsible to to make blanket assumptions. I agree. I agree. And that certainly was a situation where the mob mentality was the result of other events and now we can go back to an event that sort of the emergent mob mentality led to events yes um and i think you're referring to the bald knobbers yes (laughs) uh there's there's so much in the bald knobbers that at some point i think we could easily dedicate an entire month of episodes just to the bald numbers, still not cover it. Um, but I, I think a, a really interesting place to begin with the bald numbers, certainly for me, is on the Ozark Courthouse Square. Mm-hmm. And at the corner of the square, there is a, a small granite plaque monument. Uh, saying that in this location, I believe on May 10th of 1889, um, the bald numbers were hanged. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the Christian County bald knobbers, not the Taney County bald knobbers. Right. Um, important distinction. And also important to understand that this is separate from bald knobbers of other counties. And, and just the generic use of the word. And very much so. Bald, bald numbers were became a, a a generic brand for vigilante in Southwest Missouri. Kind of like bushwhacker was during the Civil War. Very much so. I think that's an excellent. That's that's much better than my analogy or my my comparison. Mine was Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> I, yours is a lot better. And more <laughs> visual. <laughs> We we just need a we just need a, a general brand description, and the it it it's there you can't you really cannot talk about the Christian County bald numbers without talking some about the Taney County bald numbers. That's it true. Is, they, they don't make sense otherwise. No, and even the name doesn't make sense without you know some descriptors. Uh, what, what I think is especially interesting in the case of the Christian County bald knobbers was that they weren't meeting on top of a bald knob. They were meeting in a cave. Yeah. Uh, but, but you uh, know, the Taney County group already had 
name recognition. So why not? They did. They did shared shared name recognition. And I think even by that point, by the by the 1880s, it, you know, with the the, the trans, you know, the, the sharing of information back and forth was this, uh, you know, the recognition that Baldnaber was synonymous with community vigilante. Yeah. Which, you know, my 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 background in marketing uh, applauds the Taney County Baldnabers for their success in that regard. And talking about taking lemons and making lemonade, because the original term Baldnabber was an epithet. It was an insult uh, to the group. And it was originally done to make fun of the you know the Taney County League of Justice, quote unquote, approximately. I always get the the combination wrong, um, and I think I said this the last time. I always get the combination wrong because my head's still stuck in DC Comics, and I think the Justice League. <laughs> um, and then I imagine like Batman on top of an Ozark Mountain, and just throws me off. Um, and see, to but, me, I, I keep thinking of, of Monty Python and the Life of Brian, and they keep coming up with different variations of, of their <laughs> of their revolutionary group it's and it is a is a part of this now we we have fun laughing about it now it was no laughing matter at the time and it's still a, a very you know serious part of our our regional and american history and the 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 process so uh, and, and what's particularly fascinating to me is I live in the middle of Baldnaber country. I'm, uh, all, all of the, the, the Taney County events, the, the crucial Taney County events, um, took place easily within five to 10 miles of my house. Mm-hmm. And I know many of the locations, I've been to many of the locations and there's, thousands of people who live within this this immediate region and space who um, transit through these spaces without knowing the history and that's um i think unfortunate it is very rich in terms of its history it speaks to uh the degradation not only of society but specifically the judicial system immediately following the war the fact that this was uh, became a very dangerous and no man's land sort of zone well, I, th- I think it's important to know uh, for, and some people would know this, some probably don't, that during the Civil War, pretty much Southern Missouri, probably at least the Southern third, if not more, uh, east to west, clear across, there, there, was, there was no, pretty, pretty much there was no justice system. Right. It stopped functioning. Um Majority of courthouses were were burned. Records were burned or stolen, etc. Uh, there was no county business for most counties um, throughout. You know, from 1861 until after the war. So mm-hmm. there had been literally a vacuum for law enforcement completely. And so, uh, if if you understand that from the war, then it makes more under makes more sense why there was a vacuum lingering yes and and is as such uh there was a series of 
breaches of justice of uh, um, particularly of young men, sometimes in roving gangs, sometimes not committing crimes, sometimes extremely violent crimes. And according to many of the, the law abiding and hopeful citizens of Taney County, they were not seeing justice done. Right. And the, the specifically the, the group now, and I find this particularly interesting, the, the, the bald numbers for people who are familiar and a lot of people's um, closest exposure to the bald numbers is actually riding fire in the hole in, in silver dollar city, which is one of the oldest roller coasters. It's an indoor uh, roller coaster at silver dollar city. And it, it really speaks to the, the 1960s, 1970s era when there, there was a lot of attention to detail and myth-making at the same time. Exactly. And, and, and I can say that Fire in the Hole was a personal favorite of our producer, Alex. <laughs> well, I love it as well. And it, uh, it, has, it has its own history uh, in the in the I, I there because he, he does not care for it. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, some, there's some interesting bits of history. I'm sure you know it as well as I do. Oh yeah. Um, my my favorite part about Fire in the Hole is actually the murals, um, which uh, are George Kiefer murals painted mm-hmm. in the 1970s. Uh, George Kiefer is one of my favorite Ozarks artists, and it's very evocative. I love the fact that in many of these cases. <sighs> A lot of Borderlands Tri-State Mining District um, history mm-hmm. is actually incorporated into the 1970s era of Silver Dollar City. That that's true. I mean, most people don't know that. If you if you don't already know what you're looking at or hearing, you wouldn't have any idea. No. And the the Imagineers, quote unquote, that's not their, their term for it. That's a Disney term. But uh, the the conceptual artists and designers and architects of of uh, Silver Dollar City in the late 1960s into the 1970s really went to school on the the myth of the Ozarks, if you will, and the the legends and the history. And you know something as simple as when you go onto the square. Um, onto the, the old town square at Silver Dollar City after you go through the turnstiles and get up to the top of the hill and you're on top of uh, Marvel Cave. Uh, turn to the right and you'll notice um, there's the, the mine. It's the mine restaurant, but they built uh, a replica of an old traditional mine with a mine shaft and the mining workings. And then they created a mine uh, dining hall underground and walking through that of course you see that similarities um uh with thunderation yeah with the 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 q areas that they put a lot of attention to detail uh into the q areas again of uh you know mining um culture and mining architecture of the 1870s 1880s and that's not Taney County. Yeah, no. That's that's Joplin. That's Joplin. Or oh, and and also far southeast Missouri, but but there are other aspects 
that were incorporated that that point to this part of the state. And the um, you know, and, and and again, so all of this, all of this tell speaks into something I find really interesting and and worthy of discussion. Uh, sticklers to detail could easily take issue with some of the historicity of it, but you go into fire in the hole and there's this incredibly gorgeous mural uh, that I absolutely adore. It's a George Kiefer mural, but it's the, 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 the frontier town, the Ozarks frontier town uh, is on fire uh, mm-hmm. and ostensibly by the bald knobbers. And that's the theme of the ride. And the bald knobbers are wearing the, the terrifying masks um, like this. <laughs> yep. And, and, and they continue to wear the masks throughout the ride. And it's certainly, an, I, I might be wrong on this, um, but to me, it looks like the burning of Osceola. Burning of Osceola, you know, or uh, the burning of Greenfield or Stockton or Carthage. <laughs> and, and these are civil war events that were, were perpetuated by groups that, Mm, we're not the bald knobbers that was this is taking place 20 years before the bald knobbers so on and so forth and to my knowledge we had no history of the bald knobbers ever burning a town uh they did plenty of other things but burning and burning down a town was not one of them and of course mm, our more you know certainly is you can you can take the position of rather pedantic historian and say that's bad um but what i love about it is it is evocative and it introduces people to themes and to ideas and if they're curious they will dig in and find out more um so bald knobbers uh formed in taney county i'll get it right this time the law and order league there you go uh, <laughs> Boy, it fit in right today, wouldn't it? They didn't even have an NBC contract. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but I digress. Um, but so interesting about the ball knobbers, they, first of all, the Taney County ball knobbers, um, in some cases, did not wear masks at all. Right. Uh, when they, they did work, to hide themselves either. No, a lot of people in that moment knew who they were. And right. when they did ride with masks, um, they, they weren't anything fancy. It was just, uh, you know, flower sacks with holes cut and that sort of thing. And these were uh, the, the initial um founding fathers of the bald numbers uh were largely federal federal leaning union leading in in some cases having served in the union army mm-hmm. uh and initially um you know most if not all of them were were members of the masonic order right and uh, you know and just taken at, just at, in that context, you know their 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 goal was law and was law and order to restore order as it had been before the war. I mean, that really that they hadn't experienced for years. Um, 
but and as you hinted earlier, the nickname the Bald Knobbers was actually an insult. It was. It was. And a number of the communities, which tended to be more traditionalist Confederate or traditionalist partisan Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, Missouri, Missouri partisan, that derided this new fraternal oath-taking group that uh, they couldn't do anything without getting on, up on top of a signal hill and announcing to the world that they were going to, you know, affect change when the, the traditional uh, hillbilly or traditional hill folk Ozarker mindset was you took care of your neighborhood and you had the good decency to never say anything about it. Exactly. That's our business and, and we don't have to spread it around. Yes, which is a, I think it's particularly interesting. We are seeing the bald knobbers so distant in the past that we make a lot of assumptions. Um, some some of the assumptions about the bald knobbers, and this might actually be more interesting to talk about right at the moment, we're talking about the hangings next week, but the, the, the assumptions that they're just a bunch of hillbillies, they were anything but in terms of the, the initial uh founding order that's true most of them they were businessmen professionals um as you said a lot of them had been officers in the army um these 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 were not country rubes by and large no and and the folks making fun of them and giving them the term bald knobber were were the more traditionalist uh hill folk right uh the 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 opinion uh, that it was somehow race-related or that it was racist, um, that it was associated with the Klan. These are all uh, very contemporary misnomers and mistakes in terms right. of the actual history, the objective history uh, about this group. And at the same time, and I think you know, perhaps it is easier to remember them um, negatively in, in light that where the order went over the course of several years became uh, very negative. It became um, mob action to a large degree and ultimately ended with the deaths of uh, a number of people, including Nat Kenny, uh, who was the ostensible leader. And, you know, so concluding with violent death and essentially an order uh, from Jefferson City that said, you better cut this crap out or it's going to get really bad for y'all. Right. It's sort of we, we understand what you're trying to do, but you, you got to stop it and and we'll, we'll stop it for you if you can't. Yes. And and now I think it is also a testimony to the the, the original ball knobbers that to a large degree, when that came down, they did. Yes, um, for the Taney County uh, group, they did. Um, And uh, without um, resultant mob violence or, you know, uh, you know, uh, subterfuge. Yes. And it was, you know, so there's there the ball knobbers as complex and as convoluted as the story is. It is a cautionary tale, but it's also, I think, a hopeful one. And, you know, simultaneously, Mm -hmm. 
think so. And they, they, they really, and, and, and in so doing, between that and what happened in Christian County, became headline news across the nation and sparked a, certainly went a long way in terms of defining at the time defining the term bald knobber as uh as a brand of vigilante right. and, and there's just there's well there's a lot to, to parse out i've got a great quote here um uh from uh, bald knobbers vigilantes on the ozarks frontier by mary hartman and elmo ingenthron and elmo was uh, a local a very um studious historian um who wrote several books and uh, his uh uh home is about five miles that way from 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 mine i've been i've been there and uh and i drive by it on a semi-regular basis and in the 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 masks the scary masks um uh faces like devils uh masks uh represented here in uh this book by lucille morris upton which also, for the record, looks a lot like the rotoscoping that um, uh, Bakshi uh, did for the very beginning of uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, representing the orcs. Yeah. I, I uh, still would have liked that. I've caught that before, too. <laughs> I, I love the intro to that. Anyway, uh, little Lord, Lord of the Rings sharing, shameless Lord of the Ringsian fan, Tolkien fan here. Um, but up in Chadwick, uh, Chadwick became the <sighs> Thai hacking sales capital of the Ozarks at the in the 1880s, and it resulted in a lot of single men or a lot of men who were single for the week, <laughs> yeah. uh, while they were there uh, selling ties. And for the first time, you know, a situation in which uh, industry paying real money came. Mm-hmm into the hills in this particular area and you had a lot of uh, saloons you suddenly had a lot of brothels you suddenly had a huge shift in the way that culture was being done right just um uh, uh, a lot more uh instability a lot more random uh crime that the, the people who live there all the time didn't want to deal with. Yes. And, and so you see pushback and the pushback came in the form of bald knobbers mm-hmm. and the uh, great quote uh, here by Ingenthron and, uh, uh, and Hartman uh, led by uh, Dave Walker and Deacon John Matthews, 300 masked and armed vigilantes, 300. That's a lot. Uh, rode into Chadwick about mid-afternoon one Saturday and lined up before Rhodes' uh, place of business. Um, that was a that Rhodes was a saloon, mm-hmm. and one of the issues that was being bandied about was the fact that uh, these saloons were selling liquor without a license. How dare they! <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, the 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 vigilantes. 
fired a few volleys to signal their intentions. Crowding inside, they smashed up furniture, uh, lugged 50 gallons of whiskey and 100 gallons of beer out to the street and poured it onto the ground, which I'd say is a really sad thing. But that's just me. Um they corralled a drunken customer and sent him to home with a noose around his neck, which probably sobered him right up um, and threatened to tie the knot. If he continued to neglect his family. Now this is a theme that we see a lot with the, the Christian County ball knobbers. If you're neglecting your family. Yeah. If you're not treating your family, right. Then they would go after you. Yes. Then the ball knobbers could write against you. Then, um, the vigilantes regrouped and cleared out of Chadwick and proud of their exploit, the bald knobbers galloped over to Sparta, where they horsewhipped several citizens suspected of stealing hogs or timber or chickens. And again, mob mentality. And I think one thing for, for contests for people, 300 men, particularly 300 riders, there were very, very, very few exceptions uh, during the Civil War that you had an army going through the Ozarks with that many. Yes. You know, that didn't happen very often, even no. during the war. No. And it it really, I, I think it, it certainly, the, the bald numbers had to have been riding pretty high, no pun intended. Um, you know, after that, the sense that the the community was on their side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think certainly buoyed by the sense that they were doing right. Oh, I, I definitely think there, there would have been a sense of being emboldened. Yes. And and I suspect that within that structure. um not a not an expectation really that they'd even broken the law no and and another thing to think about is that that this was not an army with a hierarchy and a chain of command uh in the same sense i mean it was a mob on horseback yes um and and we see that ostensible if there was a, a a chain of command through the you know because dave walker bull creek dave walker was the ostensible leader his son billy uh was uh sort of a you know right hand man in mm-hmm. the in that sense and deacon john matthews being being another but when things continue to escalate over the course of time uh, we see that the the loose hierarchy of order break down, and that right. results with the, the massacre at the Eden's cabin. Right, and it, it you know that's it is a a a lesson, um, just on not a, not only on the uh, on breakdown of of uh, of ostensible hierarchy which it's questionable how much hierarchy there there was uh but um uh, a breakdown and how quickly uh emotion and and passion can begin to replace reason mm-hmm. and 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 suddenly you have families fighting wars that really don't have a lot to do with this, hey, let's clean up the town mentality. 
Exactly. And it, it and, and the fact that too, when this happened was literally when Walker had said, We're done. Yes. And certain segment decided, no, we we're gonna go do this, including his son. I think and then he you know, Dave Walker then followed and ostensibly tried to stop it. It it does appear. Um, yeah. And, and it has a it has an interesting parallel to the city officials and job one trying to dispel the the mob as well. It and does. Once you get to that point, you know, it's like the old saying: once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's hard to put it back in. Once you get to that point with a mob, reason goes out the door. It does, and. Uh a mounting series of offenses, a horse whipping, an insult, uh, et cetera, led to deeply inflamed passions in which um, a, a good chunk of the bald knobbers rode uh, against the Edens and uh, murders resulted. Exactly. And, uh, and, and, uh, it is. It is deeply. Um, it is a. It is tragic on both sides. It is. It is tragic in terms of the death that occurred for the Eden family, and it's also tragic in the sense that, um, and and this is this is a you know has become uh, a personal story for me, a personal you know attached story for me. Um, I have had the opportunity to visit the cave. It's on private property. You can't go there without an invitation. I've been very honored to be able to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to stand at the, at the mouth of this cave where Bull Creek Dave Walker uh, stood and said, okay, boys, it's done. We're not, we're not going to do this anymore. Right. And they got, they got on their horses. Um, they rode up, and I know the valley that they rode up out of because I walked out of it. And it, halfway up there, they were supposed to head off to the right. And uh, and his son Billy and a bunch of the others kicked their horses and headed to the Edens, which was off to the left, heading up north. And uh, by the time Dave Walker, the father, uh, got there. The, the massacre was already well underway. And, you know, Dave Walker went through the entire trial, ultimately, mm-hmm. with the belief that he would be exonerated. Uh, he had the opportunity to escape uh, the jail, and he refused to escape the jail because he believed that justice would find him not guilty. Because, in his words, he had done everything to prevent the killings and he had not participated in the killings. Exactly. I mean, whereas in the Joplin and the Gilliard uh, incident, the mob broke into the jail. In that instance, others escaped and he could have and remained willingly. Yes. And, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, we've got... We've got Dave Walker. We have his teenage son, Billy Walker. We have Wiley Matthews and we have John Matthews. Wiley Matthews escapes and Mm -hmm. 
is theoretically never heard from again. Right. Um, I've got some, some very interesting anecdotal stories um, of, uh, you know, uh, a man who marries into the Matthews family some years afterwards. Everybody's together, you know, for a family gathering. And somebody shows up from Oklahoma who is clearly a member of the family. <laughs> and uh, and this is after this guy's been married into the family. Like, yeah. In and he's gone. Who is this guy? Everybody knows who he is. Everybody's happy to see who he is. See him. He's there for like two days. And as the son-in-law, the outsider, nobody will tell him who this guy is, where he lives, what his name is. And then, you know, a couple of days and he's gone and we don't see him again for five years. That sort of, you know, approximate but, but that, reality. But that, that code of silence, and you know, is very indicative of culture. It is. It is. And, and I think that's a, a, a powerful reality. And, and we see that... You know, the I think it's certainly on one hand, I think it's fair to say, coming back to the Taney County bald novers, that many of the, the men who formed the first order. Uh, wow. Star Wars reference there. Um, not a good one, but a Star Wars <laughs> reference uh, formed the that order the the initial wave of vigilantes many of those men went on to become very much the the founding fathers of uh of uh mm, of a new branson of a branson itself um these are these are family names that that went on to be uh luminaries uh you know the 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 men making big decisions about things like uh, the Electrification Act and uh, city infrastructures and law, literal law and order within the county. And as time went on, it certainly became politically expedient in many cases to distance themselves from that era. Exactly. Uh, the, 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 Christian County bald number is a very different story in terms of, I, I feel, and I look into this more, but certainly more of an, an indigenous uh, pre-Civil War population. Mm -hmm. uh, I use the term indigenous in terms of, of uh, uh, white American settlers landing here. already here. Yeah. Much, much earlier. Uh, they were not necessarily part of the union. Um and uh, not not part of the wave of, uh, of businessmen and homesteaders coming in uh, after the Civil War. And definitely more of that dynamic, uh, the, the Scots-Irish uh, honor system, the clan system, clan in the sense of clan and family, um, uh, honor first, silence, um, uh, to uh, to the the newcomers, if you're not if you're not part of the culture, you're probably not going to get anywhere. And so we see similar behavioral patterns, mm -hmm. but for two very different reasons and different outcomes. Yes, 
And it's, it's a very, no matter how you cut it, it's in many cases tragic, but a very, um, very rich history that is easy to overlook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the case of the ultimately uh, coming back to the square in Ozark with uh, with the hanging of Bull Creek Dave Walker and his son, Billy and John Matthews, uh, it being a botched hanging um, the from start to finish of beginning to attempt to hang them to them being finally dead was was calculated at 34 minutes. Oh, my. And it is the. It, it is it was intensely horrific um it, and you know it's i mean and that 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 in itself is tragic and um and, and that's not isolated there were other situations like that too in the ozarks where you had a botched name um mm-hmm. one thing that came to mind that i want to bring up sort of kind of roundabout and this takes us back to the civil war though um when we talk about hangings and so forth uh, whereas these public hangings uh, were spectacle in so many ways. Um, with earlier hangings and through the Civil War, another tradition grew up that I find it's very interesting and it makes it it, it makes it uh, in some ways more sanitized like today is the tradition of the hanging tree. Yes. Um, yeah. And most people probably are unaware of it, but when there was a hanging, particularly during the war, um, superstition was you had to cut that tree down or or the land it was on would be cursed and it would be haunted. Yes. And I think oh, uh, you can say superstition, you can say lore. Oh. You can harken back to um Anglo-Saxon lore of gallows trees. Yes. Gallows and the trees and just and just wood woodland spirits as well, you know. Not uh, to mention, not to mention, not to mention Odin. That's on true. The, on the tree, Very uh, much so. and uh, you know, um, ties to to Yggdrasil and and you know the the great ash tree. Yes, yeah. there's. Mm, there, there is a, there's an element there that I think um, the uh, the threshold of living tree or past living tree uh, and violent death is is something that. Ancient lore bears out as having great cosmological significance. I agree. I agree. And and at least here locally in the Japan area, there there is legend of one of the hanging trees that supposedly was not cut down. And yes. over time it is a we know the general area it's supposed to be in, but the particular tree is 
is not identified. And so we don't mm. really know if it's still living, if it's still standing or not. Uh, but there are a lot of haunting stories um, in that immediate area. And we do know, and uh, some would say, well, do we really know it was, there was a hanging tree there? We do know that that um, sol- soldiers uh, were hanged uh, along the stage road uh, by bushwhackers. So uh, we know that it happened. And the story goes, there was, it was at a point in the war that there weren't a lot of people around and no one cut it. it because there weren't enough people around, it didn't get cut down. Yes. Mm. It would be, it'd be well worth investigation. I would mm-hmm. very, very curious about that. And it is, there, there's, it gives me chills. There, there's no way that I can't say that that's, this, to me, strikingly significant. I, I do too. And, and, and um, it, it fits the area, if that makes sense. I mean, the, the atmosphere, the vibe, and as yes. well as the hauntings in the area. Yes. Oh, well, that, that might be a good place to close out on. I think so. Um, really enjoyed it. And I hope you all do too. If there's anything that you want us to talk about, you have questions, let us know. Uh, send us a private message, make comments on, on posts. Uh, tune in to the podcast, uh, uh, BransonPodcastNetwork.com, uh, as well as on SoundCloud. And um, we appreciate everybody. Absolutely. Thank you all. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you, Alex. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everyone.